Welcome to Rough Drafts, how God writes his love in our stories, a podcast that explores the faith journeys of our friends and neighbors in Burns, Tennessee. Everyone has a story to tell. And in this podcast, we'll hear powerful and inspiring stories of how God works in the ordinary lives of people like you and me. Our stories are unfinished and perfectly imperfect. They're just rough drafts, a glimpse of what is to come because God is still at work, writing plot twists, introducing new characters, and bringing good even from the most challenging circumstances. Join us as we see what God is up to in our stories. Here's your host, Matthew Hyatt. Friends, it's a special episode today. I'm so glad that you could join us for another episode of Rough Drafts. Today's guest is a special lady. She's got some family here at Burns. She works at the Help Center. She's got just all sorts of amazing stuff around her. And usually, uh, each week when I introduce our guest, I try to say a lot of stuff about them, what they do and where they've been and all of that. But I feel like with today's guest, the more I say, the more I infringe on her story. So I don't want to do that. I just want to introduce you to my friend, Danielle Gopp. Danielle, thanks for coming today. Hello, Matthew. Um, hello, everybody. Uh, thank you for this opportunity. Well, I ran into you the other day at the Help Center, and you were telling me about how you had just had an opportunity uh, in your new job, which is, well, explain your new job, what you're doing. Um, my new job, um, I've been at the Help Center for four years. Um, we've started up a new initiative. Uh, it's it's something that's called a peer ambassador. Um, and what my job is to do is to reach into these families that have been on hard times, and they're initially starting in this new program to help them um, come out of their situation to do better in life, um, to make it easier is like a wraparound support. And I will be the voice of maybe the hard times that these people may have. Um, As a peer ambassador, you're someone who has been where they have been. Yes. Yes. Um, and, and it's hard to explain some of these things and it's hard for some people to even talk about these things yeah. that they've went through or that they're experiencing um that's where you have to have this compassion to know just like you said where they've been at totally and um, that's what's so cool is your job is basically using your story to help people and when you told me about that i thought this is going to be the perfect fit for us to spend a little bit of time together because sharing your story part of your job and how powerful that is to help people know I'm not the only one who's been wherever. Yes. You feel totally alone when you're in it. Yeah. Absolutely feel so alone. Um, the loneliest feeling in just about the world. I mean, it's one of the loneliest things you can experience. But if if you don't have nobody that can relate to you or understand that, yeah, that's it's really hard. It puts you in a desolate place. Totally. So I guess we need to kind of take... A, few hundred steps back and say what's your story you know uh, who are you where have you been and and how are you able to help other people through what, what's your god story danielle okay um a small town girl i grew up in white bluff that's what went wrong <laughs> hey now <laughs> so i won't be mentioning any names on this podcast <laughs> but the, the problem is it sounds like White Bluff and Dixon. You don't have to mention the names. People just figure it out. <laughs> right. Or the real b bad thing is when people just assume it's something and it's somebody else. So, you know. Yes. Um, yes, that, that happens. <clears throat> um, I grew up in White Bluff, um, went to school there. Uh, I 
actually had a, um, I have a scar on my face. Um, I had a car accident, me and my mother and my cousin did, um, at Memorial Gardens. Um, I've had people ask me about the scar on my face, um, that, uh, that, uh, happened when I was about fifth, fifth grade. Um, that's a fun time in life to go through that. Oh, it was, that's where a lot of things started in my life. A lot of things, um, I got bullied. I got made fun of, let alone not long after that, you had the whole acne team, all that come along. Um, went through that, um, had like reconstructive surgery on that. Um, let alone it was an experience. I mean, it was a traumatic experience for a child it, you know, to go through. Um, about, I was about 10 or 11, my, um, mom divorced my dad, uh, she remarried, um, we're hitting the teen, get coming on the teen years then, so, at that point, I'm already very, it's, um, I don't know how you would describe it, it's, a a very sensitive time. Um, of life um, my dad started dating another woman and I felt like a burden I literally stayed at my mom's one week and my dad's one week I didn't have a home I felt like I was a burden I felt like I nobody listened to me I didn't have a voice um, this was a uh, traumatic um, my I was also being bullied in school I dated this well, I say date I mean we're in you know high school you're dating um a man a boy that was the um abusive um i watched abuse in my home um i was around it i was around manipulation uh i didn't feel like i had a um how would you say it i didn't feel like i had a I didn't even know what to think. Like I was still, I was still young. I was a teenager. I was coming up, and already teen years are very hard. So whenever we, um, uh, so in school, I was real quiet. I was very timid, um, trying to find out who I was. Whenever I couldn't, you know, even have a home, I was packing up my things and taking them to one place and taking them to the next place, and then coming back and making sure I had everything all together. Um, I just wanted to get out of school. Um, and the reason why I wanted to get out of school was because of the fact that uh, I, I wanted away from the situation. I wanted my own stable home. I wanted to have all my things in one place. I wanted to grow up. You I know it's a trap. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it's a trap. Yeah. We all, we all <laughs> wanted to grow up, and it was a terrible decision. <laughs> right. Um, so after I get out of high school, I pursue a career in healthcare. Um, I actually uh, went to school for a year, worked every weekend, and paid for that. I went to tech school for LPN, paid for that. Um, did that career for about 10 years, um, not realizing that the things I had went through in high school had made me feel like I was not worthy. I was, I was never taught to love myself. I was never um, included. I never felt like anybody listened. Um, that trauma was catching up to me as I, um, what would you call it, um, cope. Yeah. I was wanting to help others so bad because I didn't want them to feel the way I felt. 
but we still hadn't dealt with what we felt. You know, we we say dumb stuff like time heals all wounds, but it it doesn't. It just provides more time and space for things to accumulate and things to set up. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Um, So I'm unaware of this even because you just keep going through the day. You can do that. You can um, keep yourself busy, as they call it. Um, That's not a good term. Busy is not a good term. That's seems like it's from the devil. Um, productive is what I try to say. Yeah. Because you will push things down and push things down and push things down. Yeah. Um, I got with somebody uh, that wasn't healthy. Um, we, um, my dad had his girlfriend and I, you know, they were, everything was okay. And I got with this man that wasn't healthy. Um, we... As my trauma catches up to me, I'm starting to, I, I don't make good decisions because I'm, I'm, it's like I'm numb and not thinking clearly. Um, I get with somebody, like I said, that isn't healthy um, and they didn't have a job. They didn't have really anything, but I wanted somebody to love me, Yeah. to take up, to, to be my, to, to be who I needed. Um, that don't work with just anybody. No. Um, so we're together for about a year, um, still, even though I had grew up in some manipulation and some, you know, rough times and I had seen a lot of abuse, um, growing up actually, um, I didn't see it with him. I didn't want to see it. Yeah. It's easiest to be blind to it. Yes. You know. If I could tell our, our teens and our 20-somethings one thing that they would actually believe, you are better off to be by yourself than with someone in an unhealthy relationship a thousand times. 100%. But we just have this craving to not be by ourselves. and Especially if you're insecure where you are or you've got some trauma you haven't dealt with. It's just so easy to run to run from something into something worse, you know, out of the frying pan into the fire. That's what I did. Yeah. I mean, I had literally seen abuse and knew that it was existed, uh, spent many years in it, and didn't see it then, didn't want to see it. Uh, my dad, I found out I was, I'm a sinner. Yeah. <laughs> um, Join the club. <laughs> I um, found out I was pregnant with my daughter. Um, she, uh, before she was born, I was about four months pregnant my dad passed away unexpectedly completely unexpectedly my dad was the person that I went to my dad was the person that would listen to me my dad was my dad I was a daddy's girl regardless of what you know he was kind of had his moments where he I think sometimes he was the father figure that didn't want to um he didn't want to burden me with anything even though I took that on myself um but I still could go to him I could talk to him. Um, he was like my best friend. He passed away completely unexpectedly. Um, he uh, that devastated me. Um, plus, I was with an unhealthy person, and I was pregnant. Good combination. Combination for disaster. Yeah. <laughs> um, I spiraled down. I went completely numb. Really, uh, I wanted to push that grief away because I am pregnant. I mean, and I was so, and he knew I was pregnant. He was so excited about it. 
Oh, he was so excited. Um, he was. He told me. He said that when I. He said he couldn't wait to tell his friends at work. Oh. Uh-huh. And uh, I'm gonna start crying about. I'd be it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Um, he was so excited about it. He was like, I was wondering when that was ever going to happen, if that was ever going to happen to me. So, um, yeah, Grandpa, he would have been a, an excellent Grandpa. He would have been amazing. And that's one of the hardest things to deal with Yeah, is that my kids, neither one, got to know him. Um. So, okay, let's continue this. So I went numb. We went through a... The whole probate thing. I'm an only child. Let me throw that out there. Um, people say that only children are spoilt. That is not true. Um, we we might have a little more attention than you know than the typical with the brothers and the sisters. But when something like this happens, who do you go to? You have to walk through that alone. I had to plan my dad's funeral while I was pregnant. Had to do all of that. Come up with the songs plan the funeral, go to Taylor and pick out the casket. Um, uh, all the time I'm with this person that is not supportive, is not supporting me. Um, he's not understanding. Like he just, and it would have mattered if he would have been. Um, because of the fact that I went completely numb, I didn't want to feel it. I knew I was pregnant. I was excited. I was devastated. Um, but I just kept kept going. So we ended up having to move into his home. Um, he had actually built this home. Um, Your dad's home. He built the home that, he, that I grew up in. Yeah. Which is, you know, great. Well, whenever we got there, he, the person I'm with is not working. Um, we, I'm slowly going downhill at this point. I mean, I'm fixing to have a baby. I have a, well, no, I take that back. We went, um, when I had Olivia, everything was okay and stable. Um, we had moved in there. So I didn't have the ability to have, I didn't have nursery. I didn't get to pick out the nursery things. I didn't get to pick out the, have a gender reveal party there was so much going on then um in my mind and i didn't i just went through the motions yeah literally just went through the motions i knew i had to be the mother i needed to be for her and we did what we the best we could do it didn't work after a while as we spiraled down that's when i ended up with the addiction oh okay so i ended up with an addiction um she we started losing things um, lost, ended up losing a car that I had gotten, um, acquired over the years of working, uh, all material things. And my mother, bless her soul, had took on my daughter. Um, she's, that's, she's still with her. My mother has, um, Olivia is living with mom still, and she's been with her since she was two. She, um, that was a very hard time for me because I took it as a, I didn't want to lose my daughter. I was trying so hard to fix this. Like I wanted to fix it so bad. Um, I can remember just not knowing what to do though. My mind was like, it was like my mind had been beat down to where I couldn't make a decision. I couldn't 
I didn't need to be in that position with a child. I needed, she, my mother needed to take on, you know, this responsibility for me at this moment because um, it wasn't long after that we lost our home, lost my dad's house. Yeah. Um, we ended up living in a campground for a little while. We ended up renting for a little bit. Um, went homeless, completely homeless, living in our vehicle couch hopping uh we stayed with a friend one week and then kind of would stay i'm like well you know this is what i didn't want to do yeah, oh here is, i am this is the opposite of the plan <laughs> right you know when you're living in the car where are you uh anywhere that you can pull yeah is that what i mean yeah yeah i mean there's nothing Just parking lots yes behind. parking lots um a friend's yard if you knew somebody that would let you stay um uh, we had a dog with us too. Um, he actually helped me get through a lot of this. The reason I asked is, um, so many people who hear this have been so removed from homelessness that, you know, forgive me, I'm just going to be real blunt. Yeah. Uh, when they hear homeless, they think of the crazy guy who's on the side of the road that they're scared of, mm-hmm. not somebody sleeping in the car asking a friend if they could park in their yard. Right. It, it, and homelessness does not look like what you think it looks like. I mean, some of it does, but that's like the tip of the iceberg. There's a whole lot more to it. I asked the school system one time, and, and they have numbers about the number of kids in the Dixon County schools each year that are couch surfing in hotels, in cars, or in tents at the campground. And it's like 40 or 50 kids across the school system every school year. Um and people just don't know that this is this is not the crazy people or the bad people. This is normal people who end up in a tough spot. Yes, absolutely. And not at necessarily even their expense. Yeah. Like, that's what you feel like. You feel like people look at you like, well, you're the reason you're here. And that's true. But there's so much behind this. Like, there's so much behind this that I can't tell in this podcast because there's just things that went on in life that if you haven't experienced, how would you know? Like, If you're in an unhealthy relationship, and I don't know anything about your relationship, I don't know who you're with, so I'm going to say some things. I may be right or wrong, so nobody blame her for what's about to happen. You know, if you're with somebody who isn't working, who doesn't treat you the way you need to be treated, who uses with you, helps you use all of those things... um, it 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 sucks you into this hole and you don't see any other way yes um you don't you you start spinning around their world as you're trying to fix your situation and theirs and it's like trying to bail water out of the titanic yes it is it's It's, a nice thought but all you're going to do is drown with tired arms yes and you know and depending on the personality they will actually pull they they want to give you that feeling that everything's going to be okay and they're going to fix it and that and they get you in almost like you're the crazy one Mm. like you're the you're the and you're sitting there trying your best to fix this and they will pull you back down as soon as you start and the whole time you're just trying to fix the situation they're poking you holes in the boat yes and it's there it is it's it's a hard it's a hard thing to even describe yeah because people, we don't get with people that are hitting us in the face. Yeah. 
we don't go out and start dating somebody that um, starts cussing us out or starts. I mean, it don't happen that way. It's so sinister. It's gaslighting. Gaslighting. It's, uh, it's love bombing. Mm-hmm. It's it's. If you haven't just Googled classic signs of manipulation, that's something that, you know, in high school I learned how many how to draw a rhombus. I, I have never needed that skill in my life. You know, I think geometry may have been the most useless class I ever had. I'm sorry, geometry teachers who are listening. But like I needed a class that talked about healthy relationships, that talked about here are red flags. One hundred percent. I agree with that. They, oh, when we become dictators, let's, yes, let's fix that's, this. That's it. That's what we're going to do. Okay. Um, um, that's one of the many things. But Yes. Um, I really do think they need to have a class in school. I definitely believe... Because nobody ever, they don't talk about these things in school. They don't talk about, like, um, loving yourself was one that I was talking about. They don't They don't teach you to even, they barely teach you how to wash clothes or do anything like that or taxes or anything. This is something that is very, actually can be dangerous. Yeah. Well, I mean, people, I was people tired of my life. I, I was afraid of this man. Like, literally afraid of this man that I was with. And I'm not trying to be dramatic, but the number of things in this story that could have killed you, the guy you're with, Mm -hmm. his friends, most likely, Mm -hmm. based on what you're telling me, the drugs you're using, your sleeping arrangements, the food you were or weren't eating, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, everything about this. And one of the reasons I get so cranky sometimes at church when we are are judgmental about people in a tough spot is, for one, most of us haven't been there, so... But two, my reaction should this to this should be uh, horror and sadness, not anger and judgment. Like, thank that would know. be wonderful. Yeah, because that's the other side of this is okay. Say now I'm not in that situation anymore. I'm not in this situation. I have grown dramatically. The Lord has worked wonders in my life, mentally, even physically. Um, just He has restored everything. I mean, he, I feel like he has restored everything. So when you walk into a situation, say a new church or something like that, and they see you with your children and you don't have a husband or you don't have, you know, their dad, what, however their dad's not in the picture, um, you feel like they don't know your story, but you feel like they don't know me if they don't know my story. Like, they don't know how far I have come. It's a happy, it's a story, like I told you before, it's a story, not a story of pity. It is a story of power because God showed himself through all of that that I went through. I mean, it's like he, it was like when I was at the bottom of this, the very rock bottom, it's like I look up and I didn't have any friends or family around me. He was the only thing that I could hold on to and see, like the only thing. Yeah. And he, it's like he... Built me up after that. He grabbed my hand and pulled me out of that mud, y'all. I'm serious. <laughs> so, so what did that journey look like? Um, how did we go from from homeless and addicted mm-hmm. to uh, not <laughs> okay. know, to, to uh, where you are today, to peer advocate? To Right. Uh, let's go. Um, so we were homeless for uh, quite a while. Um, ended up in jail. Uh, got put in jail. Um, they gave me a pregnancy test, and I found out I was pregnant with my son. That's a fun place to find that out. <laughs> it was devastating. It was. I laugh about it now. Yeah. 
it was not funny Mm-mm. at all. No. Can you imagine? Like, I, I can't even believe I'm sitting there telling those stories sometimes because it, it blows my mind, yeah. the things that I have experienced that people do not know. Yeah. Um. So after that, we get out of jail. Actually, he went in jail with me. Um. We get out. At this point, it's like the drugs have got to go. But I'm still living with this man, or say living, we're still homeless. Yeah. Um, we, uh, I had to quit the drug thing. Um, so I did. And the process. Okay. You just said, and so I did. Like, that's the easiest thing in the world. It was not. Yeah. Um, it was such a hurricane that it was, I, it's almost like at that point, I knew that God was, I, I could hear him tell, he was going to step in. Yeah. Like, he was going to have to step in. Because I'm pregnant. I need a home. I need a place to go. I don't need these drugs. I don't, I, there's something seriously wrong. I'm scraping rock bottom for yeah. quite a while. Um, yeah, like, I, yeah, like you said, it wasn't easy. Um, so I'm still with this man. We're sleeping in my car and my vehicle. Um, we actually ended up. With our dog, and here I am pregnant, going to Kentucky. Um, we were up there going to try to stay with a family member of his. Um, we did stay there for maybe two months. Um, this woman completely flipped on me while I'm pregnant. About three weeks before I had Mason, uh, she threatened me and told me that I had to, that we had to get out back to the car again. And you're very pregnant. Yes. I'm just saying sleeping in a car is not comfortable on a good day, but I can't imagine that felt good on the back. No, it was no. Um, I'm so numb at this point though, from grieving over my dad. Um, I don't have the drugs to numb it anymore. Um, cause that's what you drugs usually do. They help you escape a reality. Uh, didn't have that anymore. So I was really seeing. My eyes were opening up. And I was like, how am I going to get out of this? Like, how am I going to get away from this man? Yeah. Um, we st- went to a hotel, a rundown hotel in Kentucky. We stayed there. Um, I think it was about a week we stayed there. We ended up. I hadn't been to the doctor but one time, and that was just to find out that I was having a boy. Yeah. Um, all the rest was chaotic. I finally made it back to the doctor. They did an ultrasound, and uh, she said that it was possible that they was fixing to go ahead and, you know, have him get, take him out because something didn't look right. Um, they said that the blood flow wasn't exactly like it needed to be. And, you know, I'm having anxiety attacks. I'm in a hotel room. Yeah. I mean, I can't even describe the feeling I felt. Like, that was the most... I, I can't even describe it. That's something that... It was like hell on earth. If I mean, if you pictured... I mean, you're alone. You don't have nobody. You're... um you're with the somebody that has you're with somebody but they don't even care they don't they care about themselves yeah there it's them 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 selfish them so 
um, we had a... The ultrasound didn't look great. It didn't look him. Right. Um, we went to, uh, we went back to the hotel room. It snowed about two feet. Of course. It, the biggest snow I've ever been in. The biggest snow. So I've tell ever. me, you tell your kid the story, you know, barefoot, pregnant, uphill in the snow. <laughs> <Right>. You know, okay. <laughs> so, <clears throat> once again, I laugh about this. It was not funny <laughs> at the time. So, we're at a hotel and we wake up the next morning. I We had went to a church and gotten food. That's another thing. I had literally heated up the day before. I had heated up soup on a paper plate that had been donated by the church. At this point, I don't have anything but the clothes that I'm wearing. Like, I don't have, everything's gone. I mean, the people, my, even my friend, friends or anybody, family, nobody. I didn't have no family in Kentucky. Yeah. Um, so we uh, was eating the food, you know, and the ne- eating the, de- thank God for that. We um, get up that next morning, and we get a knock on the door. It's a guy that works in the office of the hotel, and he said the hospital had called and want, and that we needed to get there as soon as possible. We got a foot and a half. Of, I don't remember how exactly how much it was it's on a our vehicle. Call. And it's the ground. You can't even see. I mean, it's, yeah. So we get the vehicle cleared off, and we head to about 20 minutes. We had about a 20-minute drive and probably about 40 minutes with the snow. I mean, it was, um, we get there and go in, and uh, I can remember thinking, this is, we didn't have nothing. I had a onesie that I had won through like a WIC program. Yeah. It didn't have anything else. Nothing else didn't have once again, didn't have the nursery, didn't get to do the nursery, didn't get to do the exciting, oh, gender reveal, you know. Yeah. It's a pretty desolate place yeah. that we're at right now. Um, So we get to the hospital, and they're like, okay, you ready to have this baby? I didn't even know how to feel about that. Yeah. I did. I didn't have a home. I didn't have anything. I didn't have a... I didn't even have my mom there. I didn't have any family. Um, I had lost my dad. Um, didn't have anybody to talk to about how exciting or how scary it was. Nothing. So, they did a C-section and, you know, there, I gave them the address of the last, the lady that we had been living at, his aunt. I gave them their address because I was like, they're going to take my child. If I give them a hotel address, they're going to yeah. be like, what do you know? Uh, we get home. I say home, we get to the hotel. Um, I can remember that was the most terrible feeling. Um, I, here I am with a newborn. Um, their dad is still drinking, still using. Um, he's there with me, and he attempts to help me some of one week goes by. I don't know anybody in these hotels. These are like run down, like just not your typical hotel. I mean, you yeah. can imagine what a hotel would mm-hmm. look like. Um, the floors was dirty. The bed was dirty. It was not. It was just not a good place to be, especially no. with a newborn. Um, so uh, 
about two weeks go by. He's running around in my vehicle. He's drinking. Um, he gets obviously pulled over because I get a knock at the door. A police officer knocks at the door on our hotel room. Me and Mason's in there. He um, he said, ma'am, I need you to come with me. You know, uh, we've had, you know, something happened and we need you to come with us. And I was like, well, what's happened? He said, well, he said, um, uh, asked me if I knew the man. And I was like, well, yeah. He said, well, he's been going to be taken. To, we're going to take him to jail and we're going to impound your vehicle. And there's a dog with him. Would you like to come with us to get this dog? I'm like, no. I'm like, I'm sitting here with a newborn. I don't know. I don't have a vehicle. He's, that was my vehicle that yeah. got impounded. Um, I ran. Yeah. I called my mom. Um, it was a God thing. I ran. Like, I went back here to White Bluff. Um, I started uh, working as hard as I could to get, I, I, I kind of overwhelmed my mind. I, I knew I was okay, going to be okay at that point. Like, I was going to be okay. Yeah. There was hope. I was starting to see a slither of hope because I had got out of that situation and I could actually restore what had been broken for a start of it. Um, me and mom and Mason and Olivia, we, uh, I eventually, um, we had to discuss going back and getting my vehicle out of impound in Kentucky. We discussed that. So we decided we'd head out and we'd try. Me and mom went and the kids uh, we got about halfway there, and Mom's car broke down on the interstate. Oh, no. And this um, man shows up out of nowhere, and he fixes our car for free. Oh, wow. Um, told us. It was odd because when we walked in the store at on this exit, the, uh, the, the people there was like, oh, they're here. It was the oddest situation. It was like, oh, well, we know somebody that's going to help you. You know, it was just such an odd situation. Um, this uh, this man helped fix our vehicle for free um, and told us to turn around and go back home. He said that you, talking to me, you need to put you as number one from here on out. So you need to be who you can need to be for them kids. Wow. Exactly what I needed to hear. Yeah. Um, I had never put myself as number one. I had always been trying to fix the other person. There's so much power in that. You cannot pour from an empty cup. No. Uh, so at that point, I did. I went on. I started working at Goodwill. Um, worked at Goodwill for about three years and got an offer for a uh, uh, the management position at Goodwill. Aced the interview. Um, realized I was going to be making too much money. Um, if odd as that sounds, um, this is a situation that some people are in that people are unaware. Um, once you make, if you get any kind of government assistance, um, we, uh, after you make so much money, you know, that falls off. A lot of times what falls off though is not, uh, is not the same. Like you're, you're actually losing more by losing, say, your food assistance or your health insurance, and it doesn't compensate. That extra pay does right. not compensate for that. Um, 
And talk about a jacked up system. It, it, it is. It totally is. Um, and I experienced it. That's how. And I didn't realize that it was such an, a thing until I had actually experienced it. Yeah. Much like anything else. Um, so sadly, I declined the job. I'm like, no, I, I'm afraid I was going to lose Mason's insurance. I was afraid that um, I would be working more hours. I'll be paying more child care. My rent's going to go up. Not a good situation. For a single mother i am still a single mother i um uh it's much better that way um for me you're a single mom now but you're not alone now i'm not alone not at all because you all. have a lot of people around you yes and growing more and more um so i did i it was like a a very desolate place to finding the Lord showing me who I am and how much he does love me. Yeah. That's exactly what that is. Um, I had been um, in high school. It was right after high school. I was dating somebody that had actually told me, you know, was surprised. We were discussing, we were actually studying the Bible and um, we, he did, he asked me about baptism and somehow in the picture, I had missed baptism. I had been going to church off yeah. and on since I was a kid. And, you know, he uh, he was like, you hadn't been. I was like, no, I haven't been baptized. I mean, I'm like 18. Yeah. He's like, we got to get, we, you need to go. You need to go get baptized, you know? And yeah. I was like, okay. So here I am at 1030 at night at White Bluff Church Christ. Oh, how fun. <laughs> um, being baptized. Um, uh. And it's like you go through the motions after baptism. You know, you, you don't, sometimes I hate to say it, you may not understand it. God literally showed me after what I had went through. Yeah. It's like I don't just read about the Bible or I don't read about Jesus or I don't read it. It's like I literally live it. Yeah. Like I can look at the Bible and the words pop out like they're alive um i i'm like this person that wants i get hungry yeah for learning anything and everything i can it's, um i wouldn't have done that i don't think if i hadn't have been in the situation i've been in yeah it all tied together it's like you cannot see the light without experiencing the dark but i don't like that i don't i don't like the dark <laughs> just it's a beautiful thing it is um i'm so thankful for it um you know people's you know when i do if i do tell people or people that know me have what i have went through it's the greatest it was the greatest unseen blessing ever because it showed me what really matters it showed me him it showed me him and how much of a sinner i am yeah and how much he actually, it doesn't affect him. It does, his grace still is there. Yeah. It, it, yeah, it's amazing. And even to learn what it really means that he loves, because so much of what you experienced in your life, people called love, but it wasn't. Exactly. And now to experience what is love, what is really love, um, that's an entirely different perspective. And now what you're in a position to show Olivia and Mason you know, um, you're still going to make mistakes, but they're going to see a different world than they would have ever seen otherwise. And that's pretty cool. That is absolutely true. So you hear me. Yeah. You hear exactly what I'm saying. 
Um, I tell you something, that's the truth about things too. People that have experienced things, we start to heal the moment we feel heard. Yeah. Um, and you're exactly right about love. There's so many things that people say call love that is not love. Yeah. Um, you know, I haven't dated anybody in I've dated one person in eight years and that blows people's mind. Um, I wouldn't be where I'm at spiritually. I wouldn't be where I'm at mentally. I wouldn't be at where I'm at. I just took a volunteer management job at the help center. Yeah. Um, that's a new thing. Uh, well, in one of our earlier episodes, uh, Miranda Fuson was talking about before she met the guy she'd marry. And she talked about how she was in the place she was ready because she had become a whole human. That's I exactly. That yes, that's perfectly put. I actually have told somebody that before, you know, that's like, you know, they, people, you know, don't understand maybe the dynamics of it. It is like that. It's like, I have found me. But, you know, when we date and stuff, we say all this stuff that sounds romantic and cheesy, like you complete me. Well, no, I'm I'm complete. I'm okay. Yes. And I'm glad. I I wish I could tell you how I learned some of that lesson. I don't know. You know, middle school and high school were hard. Um yeah, I didn't experience anything like like you did, um, but you know those were years. Those years were tough, um, but somewhere along the line, something kind of flipped for me, and I realized that I'm I'm okay with me, and I'm okay with God, and kind of everything else is going to be all right. Like, so I'll go out to eat by myself and thoroughly enjoy it. I will go to a movie by myself, and you know it's so funny because sometimes you walk up to the ticket counter at the Rocks and say, "I'd like one, please," and they almost look at you like. They're there. Like, <laughs> like I kind of want to hold up my hand and point to my wedding ring and be like, I have an option. I'm just here because right. I wanted to see the $5 movie my wife didn't want to see. Like, you know, <laughs> um, like it, it's it's okay. You know, we need people. We absolutely need people in our lives. But we can't have relationships with people until we are in a place where we don't need people. That That's not quite right. But we have to be whole in order to be healthy with others that's where it comes up um that's why i say that the trauma was tagging along and the trauma the things that i went through as a kid um ultimately led me as a lost you know i've heard the lost puppy thing yeah um ultimately led me to the getting with the unhealthy person um addiction homelessness all that follows in um there's a lot of shame a lot of shame if, if people have experienced things like similar to what I have um, there's a lot of shame in there it's really hard to get even if a person even if, if someone isn't judging them you still have a guilt and a shame that's something that I have had to a hard time overcoming well I mean when you know what you have done and where you have been and how life didn't go the way you wanted it to it's really easy to internalize all of those things Especially if you are with someone who constantly reinforces the message that you are not enough. Um, right. Absolutely true. We um, we we tend to we tend to take it within. That's where I'm at with a lot of things too. I've had to learn to not do that. Um, we're our own worst critic. Um, being empathetic is a problem sometimes. You have to learn how to work that. That empathy can really get you in a situation where you want to take care of somebody that 
really needs to take care of themselves. Yeah, not your job. Yeah. And so now that I have gained this And increase, that's not cold hearted. Like no. you know, I want to help anybody and everybody, mm-hmm. but at the end of the day, I don't help a drowning person by jumping into the deep end when I can't swim. Like that does not help them or me. No. That just creates a new victim. Right. And I think there's a lot of good hearted people who have ended up drowning because they thought it was their job to rescue someone else. Um Maybe it's my job to throw the life ring in and stand on the side. Maybe it's my job to call the lifeguard. Or maybe, in this one, it's not all the time, but it is sometimes, maybe that person isn't actually drowning. Maybe they want to drown me and lure me into the pool. And there are some of those, too. So what would you tell um, if if you had the platform and you could talk to every sophomore girl in the universe and and they had to hear you what would you tell them based on what you've learned about god in your story um i would tell them the that you're not alone um no matter how the enemy tells you that you are alone that you're experiencing all this alone um, that nobody, there's nobody out there that cares. Um, the enemy will tell you that over and over. Um, God loves them. God loves you. God uh, sees you. God is there with you. You have to sometimes make the choice to see, to, you know, pull near, draw near him. Um, therefore, you do need to love yourself. Yeah. Um, that's a, that's loving yourself is such an important thing because you have to know you and you have to know your value and don't let anybody, nobody treat you anything less than what you are. You are in the image of God. You are in the image of God. Don't let someone spit on you because they're spitting on God's image. Yes. If you won't defend yourself for your sake, defend yourself for his. Yes. Um, This world will pour, uh, will put you in the mud. This this world will... uh, shovel things on you that are not true um make you feel a certain way about yourself that's not true um that's part of it um self-esteem is very hard um that's something i'm still struggling i still work with that i'm still trying to build my confidence and my self-esteem back up so let me just tell you something that's kind of funny you you led your story today by talking about your scar (laughs) and what a significant part of your middle and high school years that was i'll tell you the truth i had never noticed it until you Literally, as you were talking, you pointed. You're right. Oh, I guess she does. And the thing that was huge to you had never even occurred to me. Mm-hmm. And, Absolutely. you know, we could have yeah. switched chairs so many times, you know, or yeah. I have done the same thing. But we, we just get so fixated on the stuff that that, yeah. that we don't think is perfect or right or, or whatever it is. And that's a very good one, too. Um it's all going to work out. Yeah. It's all going to work out. Like, that's one thing that I've had. You have to learn to let go. At the same time, you have to learn to let go. Um, That's the state season I'm in right now. I am learning to surrender, let go, let God. Let him do what he wants to do. I had to get out of my own way because my pride, you know, I said I had gotten help from a church in the middle of all this. I got help from several different places. Yeah. That was just one part. Um. In the beginning of that, though, your pride, you don't want to get that help. You don't want that. You know, you you can do it. I can do it. I still had that mentality, even in the middle of this. I was like, no, I don't need this help. Yeah. I can do this to the point where I couldn't. Um, yeah, I had to get out of my own way. 
So let me ask one more question. Uh, a word that came up a bunch of times during your conversation was numb. Mm-hmm. You were numb, um, you know, because of the passing of your dad. You were numb from the car wreck. You were numb from the drugs. You were numb from your daughter not being able to be with you. Mm-hmm. And I think, uh, I think there's something there to be unpacked, too, about how easy it is for us to live life numbly. Is that a word? How we numb ourselves. And like, can drugs and stuff like that are obvious numbing tools. Like that that's real obvious. We get high so that we don't feel or we can escape. Yes. But long before you ever started getting high, you were numb. Yes. And how how is it that we numb ourselves? Like, or what's the antidote to numbing? Do you see what I'm trying to get at? I don't know exactly what I'm asking. I know here. exactly what you're saying, but I don't know how you would do that. Yeah. Seriously, it, it, like I don't. Because we do it so many ways, you know, like we, we have a hard day at work, so we go home and we just try to turn off and we, we turn off by watching the TV and, and there's nothing wrong with that. But what people don't realize is we, we come home and we, we turn off so that we don't feel and it's the exact same turn off that people are doing with alcohol or drugs or, or, or sex or whatever. And I don't know that we've really uncovered that, how dangerous are inclination to turn off the brain and the heart is um i I never think i've heard that i don't think so i i I don't know what you would do yeah maybe talking to people uh relationship wise um reconcile you know and i know we need to rest and i know we need to recover and like those are those are helpful and healthy and healing things Uh but there's a difference between resting and turning it all off and just pushing it down. Pushing it down. Yeah, that's, that's exactly what, that's what it feels like to me. It's you, that's what it felt like. You just, it's like you're running. Um, I've, I've said this before in my nursing career. I felt like I was running toward my own demise. Yeah. Like I was doing so well. Um, I did, they were like family to me. Uh, this was before I had kids. Um, and I did the best I could do with this. I mean, I was... I guess you'd say killing it. It was like you was I, I doing exactly what I thought I was supposed to be doing. Yeah. Not realizing that all this pain was coming. And like, what you were doing was you were investing in career and others so mm-hmm. that you didn't have to invest in you. That was a sort of even a nut, kind of like yeah. numbing. Yeah. That's why you got to focus on him. So, so maybe a question that you know I won't have the answer to that we should ask ourselves is where in my life am I numbing right now? Um, what am I doing to not feel instead a, of to feel? That's a very good one. Well, you should write a book about that. Yeah, right. I need to write a book. Yeah. I need to. Yeah, that's a that's a really good one. I don't know. How would you do that? That's a very good one, Matthew. Thank You're just you. paying attention to how easy it is for us to hide. You know when. And to, and and you know society's so fast. Things are so fast. Give me this right now. Give me that right now. Uh, let me get my phone and do this. Yeah. It's constantly. Ding, ding, up. ding. Dopamine hits. Adrenaline hits. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. How would you? I don't know. But I, I think that's something that can only happen in community, like when we have others around us who help us. Yes. Um, I went to um, Drug Free Dixon Coalition put together a night on um, faith-based recovery a few weeks ago. Uh, it'll probably be a while before this podcast episode comes out so it's been a while um and the guy who was speaking he'd been he'd been clean and sober i think he said seven or eight years 
And he said, most people think that the opposite of addicted is sobriety. Let me try to get this quote right. He said, the opposite of addicted is not sobriety. The opposite of addicted is community. Um, and I thought that was a really interesting phrase, especially from the hat I wear as a as preacher dude, is, you know, we use this word fellowship at church. That's the word. That's the word community. Yes. We're helping each other. We're knowing each other. And that is a very good um you know, this is the thing with addiction, um, people that are addicted and that people, you know, just as a stereotype even, it's not really a stereotype, it's the truth. You're very selfish. I mean, there's a, an element to that when you when you see an addicted person. Um, we shouldn't judge them because they're very selfish, because um, I've heard that before since then. I've heard a lot of things said like that. Um, uh, the thing is, is they're actually, they're empty. Yeah. Um, they don't have anything else to. I like to say there? that addiction lies. I like to say that rather than I like to say addicts lie, because yes. addiction is lying to both the addict and through the addict to yes. everyone around them. Addiction steals. It does. Yes. Uh, it's like a. That's what it is. It's they're very. Um, they're, it's a call for help. Yeah. That's an interesting thing that I had recently and was watching um, Jesus Revolution. Oh, yeah. Um, I, that was one of the, uh, that was a great movie, by the way. I still haven't watched it. Um, it was really good. It had some good, you know, points in it. But I still haven't watched The Chosen yet either, so I'm going to lose oh, my, my, my preacher card to you soon if I don't, I saw your Chosen shirt. <laughs> you know? I, uh, it's it's wonderful. My sister's working on me so hard. She mailed me the Blu-ray. She's yes. like, you have no excuse. Watch this now. It's so, wonderful. I hear it's really good. It is wonderful. Um, it really puts you, like I said, I'm uh, hungry for learning things. It really puts you in a mindset of what it was like. Yeah. Like you, you kind of put a face with the apostles and the people. It's pretty cool. It's really good. Um, really interesting. Well, Danielle, thank you so much yes. for sharing your story because you have you have taken us on a journey today. I mean, we have been from from home to career to homeless, to the hotels, to abuse, to recovery, to jail, to babies. It's been a journey. But what I love about hearing these stories so much is the way that every person who shares them, especially what you've done today, has been able to see God in the stories. This wasn't the phrase that you used, but it's the phrase that popped into my head. You talked about driving to Kentucky to go get the car out of impound. And I just wrote down the angel on the interstate, uh, the guy who mm -hmm. fixed your car, turned you around and told you what you needed to hear. Yeah. Uh, God has so many ways. And yeah, there's a lot of people in the world who hurt us and devalue us uh, and even abuse us. But there's also a lot of agents of God in this world. And you have kind of pointed us to, to a lot of good ones of those today too. Is there anything else you want to share with us before we wrap up? There's a lot more I could share. <laughs> uh, like I said, it could be a week long. This could Season be a week three, long. <laughs> it could be. Um, but we'll we'll keep it there. Okay. Well, thank you so much for, thank for you. joining us today. Thank you for, for sharing your story. And I'm so glad to hear what God's been up to. And friends, yes. uh, thank you for listening to our podcast again today. It's just a reminder that you'd never know what the people around you are going through. So uh, maybe maybe today's lesson is just check on somebody that you need to check on. Uh, you probably know somebody in your life who you can see them numbing right now. And maybe maybe it's time to check on them. And when they say they're fine, don't take that for an answer. Um, go a little deeper if you've got the relationship to do it. Again, friends, thanks for listening. I hope you'll share this podcast. 
Hope you leave us a rating. I hope you help somebody else find it. Uh, we don't get paid for this. It's none of that. It's just I want uh, I want to hear this stuff be useful for the kingdom of God and to bless your life and that you get to enjoy these stories as much as I enjoy getting to be here uh, and getting to hear them. Until next time, I can't wait to see what God does in your story. Thanks for listening to Rough Drafts. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. While you're at it, help us spread the word by leaving a rating and review. Until next time, let's keep looking for how God writes His love into our stories.